This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel, Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. The podcast is also available on all your favourite podcast platforms. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app and also on our website at WARFradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, our featured guest is host of RSN 927's The Breakfast Club, but you better know him as the AFLW coach for Carlton, Daniel Harford. But first, the latest women's footy news. Just a couple of brief items in our women's footy news for this week. We begin with the AFLW inviting 82 women to take part in the NAB AFLW Draft Combine, which will be held over the coming weeks. In the past, it was all held in Melbourne over a couple of days. Obviously, due to COVID-19, they're doing state-based draft combines. We've already announced the dates, but just to recap, uh, the first draft combine coming up will be in Tasmania on the week commencing of Monday, the 21st of September. New South Wales ACT's combined will be on Tuesday the 29th of September. The next day, Wednesday the 30th, uh, South Australian WA will hold their combines. Uh, Queensland and the NT will hold their combine testing on Saturday 3rd of October. Victoria again still to be confirmed due to the stage 4 COVID-19 restrictions. Now the breakdown of the 82 looks like this. In WA there's 12 invitees including 4 from Swan Districts, 3 from Claremont, 2 from Subiaco and 1 each from East Frio, Peel Thunder and Royals. Over in South Australia, four invitees, two from North Adelaide, two from South Adelaide. In New South Wales ACT, you've got five invitees, two from Quimbian and one each from Belconnen, Southern Power and from the Murray Bush Ranges. Up in Queensland, 13 invitees, uh, the most coming out of Yoronga with four, two each for Cooling Gatterbond University, Cooperoo and uh, a single entrance from Hermit Park, uh, Maroochydore and Southport. Up in the Northern Territory, they've got four invitees Invitees, two from Palmerston and one each from Southern District Crocs and the Darwin Buffets. Uh, one invitee for the Tasmanian Combine, which sounds a little strange, but uh, from Winyard, that player. And for Victoria, they've obviously got the most. If they do hold a draft combine, there'll be 43 invitees. Uh, the side with the most invitees are the Sandringham Dragons with seven, followed by the Northern Knights with five. Four each for the Dandenong Stingrays, GWV Rebels, Oakley Chargers and Gippsland Power. Three invitees each for the Bendigo Pioneers, Geelong Falcons and Eastern Rangers. Two invitees each for the Western Jets and for the Essendon Football Club. And one invitee each for Richmond's VFLW team, or should I say former VFLW team, and the Murray Bush Rangers. And one other AFLW item, that is three new faces for the AFL Women's Competition Committee, which advise the AFL Commission. The three new faces joining the committee include GWS Giants captain Alicia Eva, Richmond CEO Brendan Gale, and Geelong Football Club Vice President Diana Taylor. They will replace Carlton CEO Kane Little, GWS Giants senior coach Alan McConnell, Fremantle captain Cara Dunnellan, and Western Bulldogs Women's Football General Manager Debbie Lee, as they have all completed their terms on the committee. And that's your latest women's footy news. Been playing for a while Sweet kicks Cos footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football 
If you're getting ready for the trials, gotta go the extra mile. Sweet kicks football. Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. And joining us on the line now here on RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. You hear him every weekday morning on The Breakfast Club. It's great to have him back in his role, of course, as the AFLW coach of the Carlton Football Club. It's almost like an annual series we've been having with him. It's good to have on the line Daniel Harford. Half, how are you? Hey, I'm going well, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. For you personally, how are you coping with this stage four lockdown life? As everyone that's been listening to The Breakfast Club knows, obviously you're working remotely from home. Yeah, well, I run to work every day. Uh, it's three and a half metres from my bed to the study, so I run run there and I run back. It's seven metres from the day that I, I run to and from work. Uh, look, it's, it's okay. It's I've got a job. I'm very thankful for that. And um, I get to talk about sport, which I'm also very thankful for. I think it's... A pretty good position to be in, really. Grand scheme of things, nobody likes to be locked in their house uh, and have nowhere to go and not interact with people. I'm a bit of a people person, Pete, so not having that level of engagement is, is quite frustrating at times. But, uh, oh, well, I've still got my family and my wife's home and the kids are at home, so I've got some people around me and um, we even still like each other at this stage, so we're going okay. Before we focus on present day at the moment, the 2020 AFLW season, it almost seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Um, I was actually talking about it through the week with, with somebody else, and it took me a while to remember actually what happened. Because uh, you sort of, it's one of those things, because of the way it ended, we didn't really get a chance to, to sign off on it. Um, but it was so long ago, it does feel like, feel like it was like two seasons ago. But, Clearly, that's, that's not the case. Yeah, it was, you know, I think from our perspective, it was, um, was there a really, another really positive step in the right direction for us. But you know, it ended so abruptly that, you know, you don't get to have the, the best experience, you don't get to wrap up the, the final series, all that type of thing. So there's no real official sign-off. And, and the Zoom, whilst we all love a Zoom meeting and a catch-up with everyone on Zoom, it's not quite the same as, a, as an official catch up and get together to say farewell. So it's a, yeah, it's a very interesting period. Before we talk about, obviously, the season pausing when you're at 5-1 and one and then going into that short one-week uh, finals campaign before everything paused, what were the challenges like going in, trying to restructure that midfield into 2020, of course? As everyone knew during that off-season, your biggest loss was Brianna Davey going across to Collingwood. So, essentially, the weight of the midfield is almost landing on the shoulders of Madison Press-Parkers, but you did have help when you picked up through the draft Lucy McAvoy. Yeah, well, that was the... That was the um, situation we found ourselves in. When we knew the crew was was off, um, we were going to get compensated for that with a really good draft pick. So that was our target. That was our aim to to go to the draft and find some real quality young midfielders who can come in and help out. And so, you know, it was almost nice having a bit of a heads up as to what it might look like because then you can really deep dive and, and dig into the talent pool and work out what sort of suits your needs and. 
we had obviously Mads had a great year one, but she was going to need some support in year two, um, and and we had to make sure we did that. So go to the draft to get Lucy McAvoy, um, who's a, a terrific talent. Now we, we sort of eased her into it a little bit you know, throughout the 2020 campaign, more forward than than mid, but that will sort of grow as, as she develops into a MFLW player. Great season we got from the Tigers in the VFL competition, and she had an outstanding first season as well. We still we still had. Now, uh, Katie Loins, who was, I think she had a really good year, Loinsy, a terrific year around the contest and around the ball for us and led us really well in that area of the ground. So we still had that level of experience. And we had Chloe Dalton, who we were really confident was going to be a, a super player for us and would emerge and develop even further than she had in that first season in 2019. So we weren't, whilst you don't want to lose players of the calibre of three, um, if you can, if you can give yourself a support system through that area of the ground to, to take the load off just that one person and balance it out a bit more through through talent, but also through experience with with loins and the like, um, then we we're pretty confident we, we wouldn't miss out too much um, from the midfield perspective. It turns out with the the way that all those players played in a really good system, it must be said, um, with our, our midfield coach and, and our, our coaching staff put together. Um, it worked out really well. So it was one of those things. Now, you don't really want to ever lose good players, but if you can make up for it and, and benefit from it, which I think we have, then it's um, probably a really good thing for us. Before we touch on the uh, top five and your best and fairest, uh, the player that uh, didn't feature in the top five, but clearly was the diamond in the rough for you. And I, and I think back to almost like how GWS found Courtney Gum in 2018, the big surprise packet. For you, it was a defender in Mua Lalofi. Mua, yeah. Well, she's coming, she was coming off um, knee reconstructions and some injury concerns in the previous couple of years and um, she played with a footy in the VFLW with Footscray. They're called Footscray in the VFLW. And, and we were really keen to get her a part of it. The mature age, um, good body of, of work in terms of elite sport through basketball and, and footy as well through a period of time as well. And I've actually coached, um, with her or, or coached her to a degree at Collingwood, my first involvement in AFLW in season two when she was part of the VFL program before she got into it. So I knew a little bit about her and, she came in and did a really good job for us. I think she's still got a hell of a lot of progress to make, I must be honest. Just understanding uh, the level of, of footy and and getting her, her body right to be a, this ultra-fierce competitor week in, week out. And I think the confidence she gains from getting through the season like she did without any hiccups from the injury perspective um, will really stand her a good stead going forward. She, she was a great addition. Yeah, we had a couple of really good additions for last year, and she certainly was one of them. Let's talk about that season being paused after round six. We asked a similar question a couple of months ago to Scotty Gowans in our to our in-depth interview. What was the situation like for you that you found out the season's paused, you're going to go into a shortened finals campaign, you essentially had uh, 12 hours notice that you've got a new opponent and less than 48 hours to prepare, but you're playing at home now against the Brisbane Lions. Yeah, well, we had an inkling um, that the season might be um, expedited and, and it was going to change. So we always sort of had that, certainly from, from the coaching perspective, we had that in the back of our mind as to what that might look like and have some contingency in place. So it wasn't, whilst it was um, an, an alarming uh, outcome in, in many respects, we sort of had felt it and seen it coming a little bit. So we weren't totally taken by surprise. 
And then you've got to work out who it's going to be and where it's going to be and all that sort of stuff. Um, which, now I was, I must admit, I wasn't too stressed about. And I think any of the players were as well because we were, we were really humming um, with the way we were playing and, and the results we were getting. So we, we were really confident, regardless of what that looked like in terms of opposition and, and venue, um, that we put up a really good show and give ourselves a chance to progress even further. So once we worked out it was, was Brisbane, I mean, I had a, was one of the possibilities that was sort of floated around um, earlier in that week or at the end of that previous weekend. So I've done a bit of homework anyway on a couple of the teams just to make sure you know, we were across as much as we could be to that point in time anyway about an impending opposition. So we were totally blindsided and we had a few things up our sleeve to, in terms of information on the opposition. So once we worked that out, it was just a matter of taking that into the system and, and getting the information out to the players and training for it, training for how we want to play against them and going and executing. So it was a really, well, it was a massive disruption for the competition. We, we were able to keep it as normal as you possibly could, I think, in quite um, extenuating circumstances. So obviously you had the comfortable win against the Brisbane Lions. You were going to go to week two of the finals before everything got stopped. Your opponent was going to be the Kangaroos. They had only just gotten out of jail by two points against Collingwood. You must have thought to yourself, is this history repeating? Because when you got Fremantle the previous year in the finals, they were having the wobbles and you took advantage of them and got your ticket straight through to the grand final. This almost seemed like the situation that the Roos were ripe for the picking. Oh, I don't know about that. I, I, I watched that game with great interest. I thought Collingwood were fabulous um, in that game and, and probably in hindsight should have won the contest. But that doesn't, didn't take away anything from the Kangaroos. And, and we've had our troubles with the Kangas in, uh, in practice matches and um, regular season matches in the last couple of years. So it wasn't a situation of, of thinking they were vulnerable. It was a matter of us believing in, in what we were doing more than more than them, I suppose. So we were... We're really excited for that contest. I mean, that was a yeah, that would have been a good game of footy, I reckon, um, considering how good they are as a team and, and what we've developed into. I was I was super pumped about the opportunity uh, to play the King. And yeah, I believe we we could have could have won. I believe we could have won the whole thing. But um, you know, it's all it's all just fodder at the moment, isn't it? Because you, we'll never know. No one will ever know how good anyone actually was when the whips really were cracking late in the season because we didn't get to that point. How difficult is it to do those um, exit interviews, those postseason interviews, particularly with players towards the bottom end of the list, when you have a shortened season, when it was meant to be, for, for the home and away, it was meant to be at least eight games, it was only six, when particularly some of those players would be thinking, oh, I might have got to go in round seven or round eight, or starting to peak at the right time. You know, how can they be judged fairly in a way when obviously all these plans were just thrown against the wall because of COVID? Yeah, no, that is a challenge. Uh, that is a challenge. But on the flip side of that, um, if, if you're not getting opportunities at that end of the season, you haven't had up until that for that time. There's probably a reason for that as well. So we, we like to keep things uh, pretty fluid through the through the season. That conversation about where the players sit in the scheme of things and what they need to do and, and how it sort of looks at them going forward. So that when it gets to those situations at the end of the year, you know, players aren't blindsided and they. And they have some level of indication about uh, the conversation that will be coming, and I think I think we handled that pretty well. Um, I don't think you ever handled it perfectly, I must be honest, but handled it pretty well. And, and the players that were unfortunately um, not given another opportunity to 2021 and beyond going forward, might probably knew that that was 
no, unlikely to be the outcome. So let's talk about your top five in the best and fairest. Obviously, Madison Press Parker's uh, 74 votes would go on to win the uh, NAB AFLW League best and fairest, followed by Chloe Dalton, Georgia G, Grace Egan and Lucy McAvoy. Leaving aside Dalton for a moment, we'll explain for what's happening for her for 2021. You must be thrilled that four out of the top five going into 2021, so young and so many years ahead with the Carlton Football Club. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Love that part of our list and love that part of the of their performance last season. And we'll go through, after the draft this year, we can probably get to later on, we'll go through um, after we draft with 47% of our list under 21 years of age. So we, are, we were the second youngest list last season in the competition, behind the Bulldogs, I think it might have been. Um, so, and so what we're able to achieve with, with a list that is that young is I'm really, really proud of that. I think it's fantastic what we've been able to achieve with, with that group. Now, there's some elite talent, as you've talked about before, those top five in the, in the BNF being in that age group. Now, Matt is a, is a rare breed. It's, there's not too many Maddie for Sparkles to fight around. I don't think there will be uh, for a long, long time. She's a, she's a special player. Now, but Georgia G had a breakout year for us. Um, we probably kept her in a more consistent role, which certainly helped her no end. Uh, Grace and Lucy, we touched on before that... Uh, elite talent through the draft that we're able to get access to um, and, and really invested in and showed a lot of great faith in and they repaid us. It's, it's super exciting. We should throw in on top of that, you know, Charlotte Wilson's performance this year down back to key position defender at such a young age. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. I thought her year was really good as well. So we've got all over the park, we've got some really exciting players who hopefully will be at the footy club, as you say, for, for 10, 15 years and that's that builds you, it gives you a chance to build success and to build a foundation of success. And that's the key to the list management in any footy club. If you can't build it through the youth, uh, it makes it very, very difficult. The one name I point out is Grace Egan. She was showing a lot of promise in the VFLW in 2019 playing with Richmond. Were you surprised that you were so easily able to snatch them away from the Tigers? Um, well, we didn't know what, what Richmond would think. We, Wayne Seaman was our list manager at the time. We all worked under the Magpies in, in season two. And he was out, was out looking and recruiting for us for the VFL season. He said to me, I've got one for you at Richmond. Um, and funnily enough, she played on Brie Davey the day that he, um, that he saw her in, in the highlight of it to me. And, and I had a bit of a look at the vision. I thought, gee whiz, she's a, she's a good size. She's a good competitor. And, She's going to be a good player, I think. But um, we knew the, the academy sort of bidding process that was going to be coming. And I, I must have been, I just assumed that this would, would match it. We put in a really high bid, obviously, um, because we thought she was a, a serious player in terms of the draft pool. And she's only been out of the draft, you know, missed the draft by a year. She was draft as the 18 year old, but worked her backside off, lived in check, came down and trained and played at, at Richmond. So there's a high level of commitment there. and and a real energy and desire to be an AFLW player. So when you put all that together, um, it's a pretty attractive package. Let alone the fact she's a terrific human. Um, she's great company, Gracie. But we, I just assumed that Richmond would, would match it. I must admit, I was surprised. Um, and I haven't asked any questions as to why they didn't. And I don't think they ever will. They don't really want to know because we've got it and we hopefully will have it forever. Um, so, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I didn't think it was going to happen, I must admit. Chloe Dalton finished 
runner-up in the best and fairest, but she has elected to pause her AFLW career in 2021 uh, to go play rugby sevens to try and make it in the Olympics. Are you surprised by that move? Because technically she should have done that this year if the Olympics were going to be held. Of course, as we know, COVID messed up everything. Uh, are you, were you surprised by the decision for her to say, look, I'm going to set it out for a year? No, not really. Uh, so it's probably going to cry off a bit after the AFLW season um, while she went back to Sydney to get ready for the 2020 Games, which were obviously cancelled. Um, and, and she found it a bit more challenging than she had thought she might coming from the AFLW season into into the Rugby Sevens program. So when we started to get that conversation from Chloe, we thought that um, if they were going to push it back to 2021, the game, that there might be a possibility that this would happen. And and I am going to be the last person in the history of the world to stand in her way of doing that. And we as a footy club are absolutely right behind her in making this decision. It wouldn't have been an easy one because she's, you know, as you said, she's second in the BNF. She really blossomed as a real impact player and a damaging player in AFLW, but I think anyone who's participated in sport or what sport throughout their lifetime, if you said to them, hey, what do you reckon you come and have a chance of winning an Olympic gold medal? I reckon you'd probably take the opportunity. Um, and she's done it once. So imagine being able to go and go to Tokyo next year and there's a whole lot of work to be done until that point in time, obviously. But imagine walking away from that competition as a, a two-time Olympic gold medalist. I mean, I mean, that's just ridiculous when you think about it. So I, I think it's an amazing opportunity for Chloe. She's given her heart and soul to us in the couple of years since we've had her. Uh, and she has committed to come back to us at the end of uh, the games for the season 2022 and jump back into the program. So, yep, we'll miss her in 2021. Absolutely, because she's a fabulous player um, and a really good human. So I, I really enjoy Chloe's company, let alone her football ability. And we'll miss her, but we'll be supporting her as loud as we can come the 2021 games. So with COVID putting a wreck through things through 2020 for the VFLW season and as the domino effect would happen, all suburban football, community football, everything throughout Victoria was just completely wiped out for this winter. How much did that affect your plans for AFLW 2021 and some of the things that you would have liked to have trialled with your players, whether it be game plans or playing in different positions throughout this winter that now you've either got to fast forward or, or, or completely rewrite altogether? Yeah, it certainly drives them, drives them all over the shop and plans are down in place. No doubt about that. But um, I'm a fairly big believer in... Um, I'll just deal with what's in front of me and, and work on it from there. And once we worked out that the season wasn't going to go ahead, we didn't get, I don't get stressed about those sort of things because there's nothing actually I can do about it. So I don't bother wasting my energy on things I can't control. Um, but certainly, I mean, I would have loved to have seen another VFLW season with Abby McKay and, and Serena Gibbs and, uh, and Courtney Jones and Brooke Byrne and those young players. I would love to have seen them. Find themselves out more, a little bit more as, as footballers. They didn't get a great opportunity through the AFLW season, and and that's the beauty of the VFLW season traditionally is you get to give them more responsibility in their in the in the roles for the team, and also find out a bit more about their capabilities at, at the level. So, yeah, I would have loved to have seen those opportunities given to, to those players in particular, and probably a few others I've, I've missed. But um, it, you know, we've we tried to manage them as best we can off site, so to speak for our conditioning program and the skill setups we've, we've given to the players. But nothing replicates playing. We all know that. Um, so there's 
it's going to be a void in, in the development of, of every player in the competition, let alone the young emerging players. But it's our job now to, to fast track that when we get a hold of them again soon um, to make sure that they are the ones you absolutely make sure you invest in and, and fast track their development. They're the ones that you need. You need to have strong squad. The games aren't one by 21. The games is one by 30. You know, you're tired of this. So, yeah, that's on us as coaching staff and a high-performance staff to make sure we can get them as, as good as possible, as quick as possible from the, the day we get our hands on them, whenever that is. One thing that COVID has done is made football clubs uh, reassess their budgets. I guess the first thing I want to talk about is how, like you said, you don't stress, but looking at a, a broader team perspective, how do you manage the anxiety around what will be the next season? Because you've already commented on when, when Scott Gowans uh, departed from North Melbourne, which uh, shocked everyone. Geelong then followed up sometime later with their VFLW coach, uh, Nat Wood, and their uh, uh, Pathways manager, uh, Simone Belez, uh let go. Possibly the biggest shock was a couple of weeks ago when Richmond, who's seen as the big money club, 100,000 members, um, said we can't run our VFLW program in 2021. How do you manage the anxiety around that, which no doubt players, supporters, members, etc., are like, well, what's going to happen to us if that's happened to Richmond? Well, we've committed, and we've made this very clear to our players and pretty sure to the public as well, otherwise you get a scoop here, Pete. Uh, we've committed to the, the VFLW program. We want that in-house. We want to manage that and look after that from our perspective for, for many and varied reasons. Um, one, of the, one of the suggestions is that the VFLW season will, will overlap the AFLW season a bit more this year. I don't know if that's, whether it's going to come to fruition or not, but I think it's a great idea if it does. Uh, so that it starts maybe a couple of weeks after the AFLW season and, and runs concurrently for the remainder of that season and then takes over as its, as its own season of VFLW at the end of the shortened AFLW season. So that would allow much better integration between the program, um, let alone uh, a bit more balance with your staffing and ability to cover off more things and get your players who aren't playing games as I said before now emerging players last year didn't get a lot of opportunities because we didn't have a lot of injuries and we were winning lots of games um, given the chance to play and, and go back and, and find some form whereas in, as you well know the AFLW as it sits at the moment there's no secondary tier that, or second tier games that are played concurrently so you can't say to the coach well on the weekend I've got 25 sessions in on Defended really well and the forward pressure was great or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of obvious if that is to happen. Uh, but we want to control the program. We want we want to manage the, the players in the way we see best um, and keep it together through our through our club feel and club environment. So we've committed to that as a VFLW program. The players are fully aware of that. Um, so we don't have any too many stresses from that perspective. How much of an advantage is that, having that VFLW run alongside the AFLW? Because when we look at it, the Adelaide Crows, two-time AFLW Premiership winners, have had the Sandville W running alongside the AFLW during those years. And at the same time, we've seen improvement last year, or when I say last year, last season, uh, from the Lions and the Gold Coast Suns, where they've also had the Queensland League move to a February start time. Yep, I think WA are doing a similar thing, so I think it's going to be almost uniform across the country that that is the best way to develop the elite talent um, in in women's football in Australia. And I think, I think just personally, that that is absolutely correct. Um, as, as I said before, there's a lot of anxiety for players who don't play uh, in the AFLW because there's nowhere else to play. There's nothing else you can do to put your case forward to the case as to why you should be playing. You sit there and watch all the video you like and 
talk to the, the cows come home, but until you can show a body of work, then what, what really have you got? How can you show to the coach or the coaching staff what you're capable of doing? So I think it's it's a really good opportunity. It also manages, gives you a chance to manage injured players back in a bit more effectively going forward. But as I said before, the, other, the big one is, is staffing. Everyone's working at the same time, certainly for a good chunk of the year. And at the end of that VFLW season, whenever that is, you, there's a, a designated break, a good full break of a couple of months where people can just go about their business and their daily lives without having the, the spectre and the shadow of, of footy, whether it's AFLW or VFLW, hanging over their head. These are, these are part-time employees. And it's a part-time industry at the moment. Hopefully one day it is a full-time industry, but at the moment it's a part-time industry and we ask so much of our staff, let alone our players, to commit their time and their energy to our programs and, and there's not, not like the AFL, there's nine and a half million bucks in the, in the footy department spend, about 14 bucks 50 and we're asking our people to work for, for the love of being involved in a program like we try and create and, and it's a big burden that they carry for us and we are so thankful for that but this streamlines that process too and, and makes it much more about um, balance, life balance for everyone involved in all the programs. The side-and-trade period, of course, was pushed back. It was normally going to happen around early May. It happened in August. With that, uh, I guess, three-month on-hold period, did it make you a little bit vulnerable to uh, potential poaching from other clubs that now they have an extra few months for friends of friends, et cetera, to, to get into the ears of players of, you know, come to this club instead, come play here? Uh, no, not really. I... <laughs> This is a question. Uh, I, I'm of the thought that players that want to be at your club um, will never leave, and unless you give them a reason to. And I'm so proud of our program from top to toe, uh, of how it's run and the people that are involved and the level of the caliber of humans that we have in our program and the way we put it together. It, I think it's nothing short of outstanding. So I'm not too stressed about players that want to leave for opportunity or they see something that we can't give them, I think that's actually good. Um, and I have no problem with that whatsoever. So I think it's more than conversation from friends or family or um, mates you grew up with who are playing somewhere else. There's, there's more to it for a player to leave any level of footy, I reckon. And, and I'm really confident that the way we run our program, that if, if there is a player that wants to leave um, and, and the the reasons are pretty sound. I'm I'm pretty happy just to let them go. If that's on time in terms of the time and trade period, or if it gets pushed back and it opens up the door for somebody else, that's okay. I'm I'm okay with that. I, I love coaching players that really want to be there because you get a, a much higher level of engagement and often output as well. So if it's not something that you want, it's okay. It's cool. It's all part of the game, and we'll move forward in different directions. And, and you know, I think that's I think it's healthy. Be where you want to be and give where you are the best you've got. That's that's one of my mottos for our players. And, and we, I'm really proud to say, have a, a really strong group of players who are fully committed to what we're doing. And somewhere down the line, that might change for a few of them. And that's okay too, because we all grow and need different things at different times in our sporting lives and our personal lives. So I've got very many grudges in that regard. And it gives us a chance to, to find someone, if someone does leave, it gives us a chance to find someone that wants to be there and engages as fully as they can in our program. Coming into this uh, trade period, how cautious were you when it comes around trying to pick up 
uh, draft picks or trying to get into position to go up the order in the draft when all we really have to look at for the girls that were meant to come through the NAB League in Victoria were last year's form and three games from this year and what is really a crucial development year for girls 17 going on 18. Yeah, well, I think you're always trying to upgrade your picks, aren't you? Particularly in the first round of any draft, you're, you're trying to find a position where you can elevate um, so you get your hands on what you see as the, the most elite talent. Uh, this year's obviously very, very different with the, the NAB League um, cancellation, of course, as you, as you point out, no national championships and all that sort of thing. But there is still a fair bit of work that's been done on players that are draftable this year from their previous years. And, and whilst there are often players that do... Uh, announce themselves in this draft year and they go to a new level, which I think in the, even in the first three rounds of NAB League we saw from a lot of the players um, that we've spoken to in the last couple of weeks that we'd like to get our hands on in the draft. Um, there's not, there's very rarely a case where someone jumps out from you know a 20 pick or 30 pick to, to a top five pick. So as long as you've got a fair handle on the talent pool, particularly early in the draft, um, you can find your, your elite talent and then you, you find a player that you just might need, you know, that might not have the reputation, but fit your model or fit your system. And I think that's a really exciting part of list management and, and drafting and trading. That not necessarily you need to have all of the greatest talent, um, because that doesn't often blend itself together. But if you can just find players that do the, the things that your team needs in a certain role or position, they might be, go from people just seeing them as, a, as an average player or just an okay player. But because they're in a good system and they do a really good job, they become a, a super player very quickly in the eyes of many. So that's that's part of the fun of it, I reckon. But yeah, you're always trying to upgrade your picks. This year's no different for us, um, except the fact we just don't have as much exposed form from from the talent pool. The players leaving Carlton were Joanne Doonan, Katie Harrison, Shani Whiting and Emerson Woods were all delisted. And the two that went out through trades was Jade Van Dyke to what I dubbed the St Kilda Hawks because half of Hawthorne's VFLW side seems to be ending up with uh, Paddy Hill and Pete Hill out there at St Kilda. Um, and Sarah Hosking uh, making the move to Richmond, splitting up the Twins. Uh, recruits for the year, I'll focus on, first of all, a Queenslander you had coming in in Charlotte Hammonds, uh, started the 2018. Nationals, um, didn't get to play in AFLW uh, 2020. Um, talk us through um, uh, convincing Charlotte to come down from Queensland to Victoria. She didn't do much convincing, I must admit. She's very open to the idea when we, we first broke the topic with her. Like, oh, she's a really athletic player. Um, hasn't, as you said, hasn't had the chance at AFLW level yet to, to show her wares, but her national championships work last year was, was quite strong, and I've been watching her in the in the AFLWQ um, in the last little while as well. And she's a really dynamic player. I, I think there's a hell of a lot. That's, that's the reason we, we do that. We traded for her. But there's a hell of a lot of improvement left in there. She's a beautiful kick, um, really good mover. I, I think we can do a bit with, with Charlotte. And that's Brett Monroe, who's now our list manager at the Blues, was really keen to give, give her an opportunity. And I was all for it. Uh, so she, yeah, she's really excited. She's a bit of a high, high achiever in life um, with her family as well, but she's excited about the opportunity of coming to Melbourne in the footy heartland, so to speak, and, and playing the AFLW. So that's her opportunity. Uh, and I just, yeah, I've got a feeling about Charles that there's going to be a fair bit of um, blossoming going on the next couple of years for her. 
And finally, the duo that you got from Melbourne, uh, Matty Guren, who um, had an ACL um, a tear back in February. Um, so she may be a late start, um, doubtful start for 2021, but still young at 20. So th- there's plenty of uh, upside for her, particularly um, coming through the ranks of the Northern Knights and Darabin showed plenty of promise. And two-time All-Australian Elise O'Day, all you had to give up for those two were pick 15. I guess the question is, was the Ligon Street Mafia sent down to Amy Park and Melbourne to uh, negotiate that deal? You seem to have burgled the D's on this one. Oh, I don't know about that. I heard the summary about that um, a couple of weeks ago with your man from Draft Central. I was paying particular attention to your assessment at, at um, that trade. But there's, there's a little bit of risk associated with it. So you know, it's pick nine, Victoria. It's a, it's a good pick to give up to the D's um, for, for Maddie and for, for Elise. Now, Maddie's coming off a knee, and we know the prevalence of knee injuries in, in women's football, and there's, a, there's no element of risk that goes with that, but we're confident we can get her back on track. And Elise, as she is absolutely a two-time All-Australian, um, she's also 29 years of age and, um, you know, seemingly was was being left out a little bit from what I was seeing from the Melbourne perspective in the, her role. Um, so we're really keen to secure the service. I reckon it's about right, that deal, I must be honest. I know I would because it's the deal that we did, but I, I thought, yeah, I thought that was about right. Um, pick nine, Victoria, pick 15. Overall, look, I'm really excited about those two. Oh, absolutely excited because I remember speaking to Katie Lawrence when I first got the job, I reckon, a couple of years ago, we were just having a chat about footy. She said, who would you like to coach out of the AFLW community, who would you like to coach more than anyone else that you haven't coached? And before she even finished, I said, Elisa does. I, I absolutely adore the way that she goes about her business and what she creates, um, not only for herself, but for her teammates and her ability to impact games. I, I think I think she's a, an absolute star. So I'm beyond excited to have her as part of the Carlton team yeah, for the next couple of years. And from Maddie's perspective, I saw her play, I've been watching her for a couple of years, I saw her play in a... VFLW practice match throughout the AFLW season. A bit of a scratch match for the girls that weren't getting a run in my first year. And she was playing for the, was, yeah, Carl versus Casey at, um, at Icon Park. And there was a moment where this player dashed through the middle of the, of the ground, through the corridor, running uphill to the, to the grandstand end and having three bounces and kicking the ball from 40 metres straight through the middle. And I thought, who the bloody hell was that? And it turns out it was Matty Guerin. And, and I've been watching her ever since, um, just keeping an eye on her, keeping seeing how she was going at the Ds and whether or not at some stage there would be an opportunity for, for us to have a chat about playing at the Blues. And it turned out that that was this season. Um, so I am super excited. She's 21, another young player coming into our squad with, with a whole footy future in front of her. So it's a really exciting opportunity for us to get access to those players from, from the Ds. Uh, throw in Charlotte as as well with another huge potential um, for improvement in her game, and then we go to the draft with pick. Well, I don't want to be Australian wide, but pick seven uh, in the Victorian draft and twenty and twenty five to top out our list. And I think we will be better again in terms of talent and our list um, structure and strategy than we were last year, which is pretty exciting. Yes, those picks in the Victorian drafts, 7, 16 and 21. Just a sidebar for a moment. They're now 7, 20. They've gone back to 7, 20 and 25. Okay. Uh, well, because, of, because of interstate trades and how they've been, probably been compensated for that. So that's slightly disappointing, but um, oh well, deal with it. 
just a sidebar, by the way, when you were mentioning Elise, happy birthday to her. She just turned 29. It's interesting that for some that, yeah. that, that didn't like um, the trade that were saying, oh, you know, she's 29, almost poo-pooing that age. When Considering when you were at Collingwood, you were assistant coach and you had Cecilia McIntosh there, who played till she was 40. And we've got running around this year for GWS Giants, Cora Staunton, who will run around at 39. Yes, yes, but, yeah, special breeds, admittedly. But I look at Alison Downey, who's 36, uh, playing for us. She's gone as well as she's ever gone. I mentioned Laundry before, who's 107. Um, so we've got experienced players. I expect no less than, than five years out of Elise before we even start to worry about where she's sitting in terms of an age problem. Um, so that's age was never a factor from, from my perspective. Uh, we get her body right. She's clearly energised to play with us, which is really exciting. Yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it up told her this. And I said, you've got at least five years before they sack me. Uh, and then who knows what happens from there. But um, go get them for five years. This isn't about one year or two years. I want you here for at least five before we even start about what your future holds. And Loisy being 107 is only 107 because of all that drinking they do at, at Diamond Creek. Um, let's <laughs> let, let, let's focus on building ahead uh, to, to the 2021 season. It was announced um, a few weeks ago. The plan was uh, for the start of November that pre-season training uh, would begin. Before we go into the smaller dynamics of that, uh, considering the stage four restrictions from the Victorian government, um, what is the hardest thing to prepare the players for for this preseason? Is, is it to prepare them physically or is it to prepare them mentally after living six months in lockdown? No, I think it'll be, um, it'll be more of the physical component of it, like most preseasons are. And thankfully, I, I think we've got the best high-performance unit in the nation in terms of women's footy. So um, we will get that right, I think, like we have in the last couple of years. Um, but I think mentally, they'll be they'll just be champion of the bit to have a, have a conversation with someone outside their house, let alone the fact that they can get a chance to run around with 29 of their mates playing, playing footy and playing the sport that they love. I, I think the mental component um, will be, they'll be, it'll be self-sufficient from all the players. They'll just go about their business and, and be really excited and energised about having the opportunity to, to hang out after all those months in lockdown. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get, uh, I'd almost have a problem with over-engagement and, and too much energy at times. I must admit. So that's sort of what I'm planning on through this this build up to the pre-season. I think mentally they'll be they'll be absolutely fine. It'll be a real release for them to be able to to throw away their worries and stresses and just come to footy and and have a little bit of fun and work hard with their mates. I reckon it's a a really good outcome for everyone in the, in the competition. I must admit. And how difficult is that to try and hold the reins back on them? Because it's like a caged animal. Finally, when they're able to get out there and train as groups instead of just training by themselves or, or in a group of two, um, that they're able to get out there again where I guess th- there's almost a human inkling that once you've got freedom, you want to go at a million miles per hour where naturally the strength and conditioning staff will probably be saying, well, whoa, 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 your body's not ready yet to go at a million miles an hour. Yeah, that'll happen. But I think... As I've mentioned before, that, that happens most pre-seasons. There's always a, a question of the playing group that, that goes like a bat out of hell and board a gate and, and tries to go too hard too fast. So that's on that's on us and our, our strength and conditioning people to um, to get that right to be able to focus on that and make sure they're, they're in full control of what is happening with uh, with the players in terms of their loads and their intensity. So that's a gradual build-up process. The players know that. Um, they just have to be reminded to get back on track. 
as we know with the Stage 4 roadmap that's been uh, put out by the Victorian government, uh, people can train outdoors in groups of 10 from uh, about mid-October should everything go right with the, with the COVID cases and they continue to track downwards. Up to groups of 50 will be allowed from about late November. Now, either through the club or through the Coaches Association, has there been communication with the AFL of what training will look like, um, whether it's training pods, etc., for the Victorian sides, and if that will also, for competitive balance, apply to the interstate sides who obviously are, are out of lockdown and are a lot further along and playing football as we speak. Yeah, no, I, well, I know there's been dialogue. I haven't had any uh, outcomes from those conversations just yet, or I don't even know how extensive those conversations have been. Yes, um, but what I have heard on the grapevine, and take this for what it is, I don't know what if it's legitimate or not, uh, is that if there is, and if there are restrictions from a Victorian perspective in terms of training and group sizes, all that sort of thing, that that will apply across the competition. That is uh, a conversation I heard last week. I don't know how much merit there is to it, but I think it's, I think it's, that is right. And that is the outcome that, that should happen. Um, I don't think there should be a competitive advantage to anyone outside of Victoria just because they got their, um, their borders under control a bit quicker than we did. And I guess the one you've got to take a big, deep breath on is that we know the AFLW can't do a hub system because everyone is part-time, unlike the men's who are full-timers and they can do a hub. Uh, women's cricket paid a little bit better and their season is a more condensed. They're doing a hub at the moment in Sydney. Has there been a case of how to prepare for if either A, um, there's a COVID spot, not in Victoria, just somewhere, that either A, the season has to be pushed back a little bit more, or B, we may have to go into lockdown again. And of course, everyone is, fingers crossed, not hoping for a third wave in Victoria or a second wave elsewhere. But have you been talking with the players, talking with the staff of what is our scenario should things turn the other way again? Oh, not, not in depth. I mean, they're pretty high-level sort of conversations, so we wouldn't bother getting too many people involved in those at this stage because they are so far away and and um, not really things that people need to be concerning themselves with at this point in time that are out of management positions or, or executive level. So that's their really high-level conversations that, that sort of are being to a point, but no great depth or detail. Um, what we are doing is planning for business as usual at this stage, and there'll be some level of contingency, but it's it's about business as usual on trying to get our program back on track as quickly as we can when we do start um, the 2021 pre-season. Obviously, taking aside wins and losses, looking back at your 2020 season as you focus towards 2021, what's possibly the one or two biggest things that you saw out of the 2020 season that you would like to improve on to help Carlton go that next step? I think there's one of the things that I try and encourage in our group is a flexibility uh, about how we how we play, and that can change any given week. I'm firmly the belief that you can adjust your game to suit an opponent because your style might not necessarily match up well against somebody else's style, and if you continue to play that style, you're going to get beaten. So I'm I like to give a fair bit of flexibility with our players. I think we showed that a couple of times through 2020 that we're able to adapt our, our whole style of play and get really good outcomes. So I want to progress that. Um, I want to have a, a clear system of what we want to do with and without the ball, but have a real flexibility in, in what we can adapt in terms of um, 
system and structure depending on who we play. And, and we started to really get some good results, as I mentioned, and some great line on the back of that. So you better get those good results early when you're doing that stuff. Otherwise, you can get some question marks and some insecurities from the players about it. But because we've got good outcomes, um, we started to get a bit more buy-in and belief that they could. That's a big thing in sport, as you know, but that you believe you can more often, you, more often than you do. So I want to really develop that side of our game and, and make us a really difficult team to, to play against, but also to coach against. And what's the feedback from the board been like uh, for your tenure so far? You're uh, two years into the position. You've had a grand final. You're at six and one, and uh, you were looking down at possibly going into another grand final, depending on what would have happened with the Kangaroos. How's the support been from the board over the t- the two years that you've been in the position so far? I have had nothing but unbelievable support from the board. In fact, the prayers um, called me this morning. I've got to call him back. He reminded me. Um, nothing but enormous support from the board since the day I stepped into the place. And they, reasonably from my perspective, sorry about me, that they are fully invested in our in our women's program um, at the club, AFLW and VFLW. So we have, we have unbelievable support from board level. Uh, Paddy Kinnersley is our women's footy director, uh, Brad Lloyd, the men's footy director, Chris Judd. Um, we've got uh, C.O.K. and Little, the... Enormous support. I mean, his kids braid our players' hair uh, pre-game every week. So he's there with his wife and his kids, and they braid the hair. And so they that one shot that set up. So we have unbelievable support. And in terms of my tenure, um, they haven't sacked me yet. So until that time, as I do get sacked, I reckon I'm going pretty well. And one last question before we let you go. We know that the draft coming up on October 6th is going to be done virtually. We saw how it was done with the NFL draft a few months ago, including for some of the uh, coaches, uh, some of the kids uh, surprising us all in the background for Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots. His dog Nike virtually sat in (laughs) for most of the uh, draft. Um, For you, any surprises we can expect on your Zoom call on draft night? Well, well, the we're trying to work out how we play it um, at the moment, whether or not we can all be together, the recruiting and coaching staff um, together, or whether or not it is going to be individually through that through the Zoom process. So we're not quite sure. But if it's individual and I'm at home, um, I'm every chance to do something stupid just for a bit of fun. So uh, just keep your eyes peeled. Please. You never know your luck in the big city. <laughs> Well, Harp, thank you once again for joining us here on RSN 927's Digital Channel Carnival on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. You've been a great guest every time we've had you on over the last few years. All the very best for draft night. Just uh, just a month out now from happening. And fingers crossed everything runs smoothly and COVID doesn't come back and we get our 2021 season away. I think we're all wishing for that. Thank you, mate, for your support of, of the game. Um, we think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. And, of course, I know you'll be listening to 6 to 8.30 weekdays on The Breakfast Club. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. 
Now on RSN Carnival Digital Radio and the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, it's time for a scoreboard check. We take a look at the results from around the Women's State League. Some footy played over the weekend. In the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition, just the one game for Round 8. Launceston 3-4-22 going down to Glenorchy 5-2-32. Clarence North Launceston and the Tigers all had the bye. Round 9 action, their fourth last round of the season. Uh, coming up this Saturday, 12th of September, 12.30 at KG. GV, Glenorchy versus the Tigers, while 3.45pm at Richmond Oval. Clarence versus North Launceston. Launceston with the bye. To the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, their second last round was played over the weekend. Manly Warringah 12-5-77, defeated the UTS Bats 1-4-10. Macquarie University, the five behinds, going down to North Shore Bombers 5-2-32. East Coast Eagles... 8-12-60, defeated Pennant Hills Demons, just the one behind. Inner-West Magpies, 12-19-91, went whack against the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, who didn't get on the scoreboard. And in the closest game of the round, the Southern Power, 4-9-33, defeated Sydney Uni, 4-2-26. To the ladder before we head into the final round of the home and away season. Manly Baringa look likely to be minor premiers. Not only are they one wing clear of second, third and fourth, they do have the superior percentage at 285.07%. Manly Baringa with a 7-1 record top of the table. That logjam, second, third and fourth, just separated by percentage. All sides on a 6-2 and two record. Southern power ahead of Inner West Magpies and East Coast Eagles. North Shore lead Sydney Uni in the race between fifth and sixth, just on percentage. Percentage. Uh, in seventh spot, Pennant Hills Demons with a two and six record. UTS Bats, one win, six losses, one draw. The uh, UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, second last with one win, seven losses, and sitting at the bottom of the table. Macquarie University with just the draw to their name and seven losses. So the fixture for the final round in Sydney looks like this. All games to be played on Saturday the 12th of September. Kicking the jaw off the grass at 11.30am at Mike Kenny Oval. Pennant Hills versus Manly Warringah. North Shore versus Sydney Uni. 12.30pm at Gore Hill. 1.30pm at Macquarie University. The Warriors play host the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Southern Power versus Inner West Magpies. Should be a cracker at Waratah Oval, 3.30pm. And East Coast Eagles versus the UTS Bats, 6.10pm. The Twilight Game at Cane Bridge Oval. Across to WA in the West Australian Football League women's competition. And we had our first week of finals where Subiaco 4-4-28 defeated Peel Thunder 3-4-22. Subiaco going straight through to the grand final. East Fremantle defeated Swan Districts in the elimination semi 5-5-35 to 4-5-29. That sets up a preliminary final clash this Sunday, 13th of September. Peel Thunder versus East Fremantle 230 p.m. at David Gray's Arena. That game will be live-streamed. Check out the WAFL social media channels for that. And finally, across to the Bond University QAFLW competition round 12, final round of the season was played over the weekend. Absolutely 1-4-10 went down to Coolangatta Tweed, 7-3-45. Wilston Grange, 1-3-9 were beaten by Maruchidor, 6-7-43. Bond University, 8-5-53 defeated Cooperoo, 4-5-29. And the UQ Red Lions 139 
went down to Yoronga South Brisbane 6-5-41. An interesting uh, finals format for the Queensland League. Uh, they're going with a top six this year and uh, similar to the VFL men's reserves competition of years gone by, uh, it's a case of first and second go straight through to a preliminary final stage where the semis are played between third and sixth and fourth and fifth. And that means uh, on Saturday, 12th of September, we've got these two games, 3pm at Maroochydore Oval, Maroochydore versus the UQ Red Lions, and at 4.45pm at Leishon Park, Yoronga South Brisbane versus Cooperoo for the right to go through to the preliminary final stages where they'll meet Bond University and Coolangatta Tweed waiting for the winners. And that is your scoreboard check from around the country. And that concludes the program for yet another week. We air every Wednesday, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival Digital Radio right here in Melbourne. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. If you don't hear us live, you download the podcast. Just search Women's Australia Rules Football Podcast. You'll find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app, and also via Deezer. And don't forget to go to our website, warfradio.com. We've also got the podcast there. Plus, you can find us on social media, facebook.com, twitter.com, instagram.com, and then just go slash warfradio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company, and it's bye for now.